This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Good Tuesday afternoon. I am not Linda Swain. I am Brian Callahan in for Linda this afternoon because she said what all of us want to say on a day like today. Shag it. I'm taking it off. And of course, that's not what she said at all. In actuality, Linda was felled by the COVID, so, uh, which she has authorized me to reveal, I should say. I didn't say that without she knowing. But you know, it is a reminder to all that uh, it's certainly not gone away and won't. And it's here to stay and it can knock you down the best of us. Uh, so our best to Linda as she continues to recover, doing better, must say, uh, and uh, being the trooper that she is, of course, she's, she's still working, albeit from home and doing interviews, no less. So well on the men, that's good to know. And just a short time ago, not only that, she's contributing here to our own show here today, Linda managed to uh, reach the president of the FAW. Now, we all know they're in the midst of yet another dispute over a species, this one's snow crab, of course. Almost seems like an annual cyclical thing, but Greg Pretty um, uh, spoke with Linda a short time ago for the latest uh, on the ongoing turmoil in this year's snow crab fishery. As we know, the price-setting panel last week basically sided with the processors and, and locked her in at $2.20 a pound. The, the union was looking for closer to three fifteen or at least a dollar more, uh, which, to put it politely, you know, the FFAW is none too pleased about whatsoever. So... Um, saying there's no way that can cover costs, let alone, you know, make a buck at that price. So the union is clearly on the pressure campaign to see some kind of intervention here beyond uh, that, you know, that might move. We're hearing that the panel was not unanimous in that decision on the, uh, on the price that they arrived at. So, you know, what was the story there? Why weren't they unanimous? How many of them? Was it, a, you know, almost a split decision or what? Um, it'd be good to know. But we know Mr. Pretty spoke with uh, Provincial Fisheries Minister Derek Bragg yesterday and is now seeking a meeting with the Premier, Premier Andrew Fury, as well as Labour Minister Bernie Davis. But anyway, without further ado, here's uh, Linda's chat just a short time ago with FFA, with the FFAW president. Greg Pretty, you had your urgent call with Minister Derek Bragg Monday evening. Uh, what was that all about? What are you hoping to achieve there? Well, I, it's, it's important that that not only the minister, but the premier knows exactly uh, what the fallout of, of this will be. I mean, this was a disastrous decision. As uh, I've said, uh, that decision, that panel decision, downloaded all of the hurt and downloaded the hit of that uh, crab market uh, onto to the backs of harvesters and to a point where it doesn't make any sense for people to fish at 220. As one harvester said to me, Greg, it's better for me to go bankrupt, tied on to the wharf, than to go uh, fishing for companies at that price. So it's extremely significant. Uh, the impact on the, on the provincial economy is horrific. Uh, this fishery was a little over $800 million last year. Uh, this year, uh, man, i got to tell you that uh, based on the prices here, we're down about a half a billion dollars. Uh, from where we were last year to what, what they're offering now. So that's uh, pretty significant. That means that uh, people are not going to work, that people are not harvesting. Uh, truck drivers are not driving their trucks. It, it's, it's, uh, it affects the economy uh, like nothing else. This is the Newfoundland fishery now, Newfoundland and Labrador fishery. It's, uh, it's crab, and uh, when crab doesn't uh, come ashore, 
there's a lot of hurt built into that. So then, having said that, what's the fix? What what are we looking for? And I think that's a that's an important question. Well, first of all, uh, the province has to be cognizant of what just happened. Uh, we got into final offer selection uh, for all the right reasons, to put order and structure in the fishery and to make sure that we had uh, uh, the proper economic gains. That didn't happen this time. So many people are saying, many harvesters are saying, doesn't work for us anymore, Greg. Uh, FOS doesn't work. Uh, we, we, and you've heard me say, we need, to do, we need to find a better way to do business. It's the, we have a great resource here. We, we are, uh, it's a, probably the best uh, crab fishery on the planet now. And yet uh, in one fell swoop, uh, it's turned from a $800 million fishery to, to, to the point where it now can impoverish uh, people on this island. So it's extremely important uh, to Newfoundland, to the communities, to businesses uh, right across uh, the, the province. And uh, it's something that, that needs and requires uh, the proper attention and the proper fixes. It's that significant. So what are the factors here? I mean, we have the final offer selection process, and that went through a big review last year, and we all remember that. Uh, so what are the factors here? Is it still uh, sluggishness in the market? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the market is uh, still sluggish, no question about that. Uh, I mean, we're watching that every uh, every day. Every, we're watching it very, very carefully. Uh, there's an old crab or a last year's crab, new crab issue. Uh, so we're watching what's uh, what's happening. Uh, so the market is still uh, sluggish. Um, some people anticipate there there would be a bump in that market on, on new crab going into the market, and I guess we're about to see that because uh, some of the Gulf provinces, maritime provinces, will be shipping in the United States in the next couple of days. So uh, you know we'll see what happens there, and if in fact there's there's a, a significant bump. Uh, but really, to kickstart this fishery now, I mean, it, it, people need, we need a new price, uh, ideally. Uh, we need to sit down uh, with the harvest, with the uh, processors and our committee and, and look at to see what can be done uh, ultimately to, to kickstart this fishery. It's not fair. There is no equality. There's no balance in a system that downloads all the herd onto one party. And you'll remember, Linda, you'll remember that I spent and we spent a lot of time this winter um, on on a formula. And that was important because that formula uh, was a structure that could have uh, shared the risk between harvesters and processors. In other words, we'd capture a rising market and and we wouldn't gain if the market sank. So we were prepared to, to go down that road. Uh, that was a good thing for not only this year, but future years on a commodity like crab. And yet uh, we couldn't do it because processors weren't interested in a proper start price to get it up. So what's happened now, of course, is that they've, uh, in the final offer selection, they, they, they low-balled and they rolled the dice on it. And uh, they came up uh, as a winner because they still stand to... to uh, to process crab and to sell it and make money. And that's the game. And, uh, and we on the other side, the harvesters on the other side in the industry are in a pretty tough, uh, tough situation where, where in fact you can, 
you can have bankruptcies in a in a, in a crab fishery. It's unheard of, and uh, it needs to be addressed. So this has been, uh, I guess, brewing for quite some time now. But how does it get resolved? Does the existing inventory have to draw down before prices come back up? How can you set a new price? Well, yeah, you're right. That's it. Uh, it's as simple as that. No more complicated than that. We have to. We have to. Uh, they have to move that product through uh, their their uh, wholesalers and retailers, and it has to be done at, at the proper price. Uh, there's been a lot of that going on since January, so there has been sales that actually in the January sales were pretty good. Uh, only down a little uh, over uh, over uh, last fall, uh, but uh, right now uh, that uh, I'll say the older crab, which means last year's crab. Uh, is still a little sluggish uh, in the marketplace because some retailers, some wholesalers are, are maintaining a price, maintaining, a, 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 let's say, a higher price. Um, I'm told that uh, it should be under $10 uh, in the United States, and yet some retailers are, even as of this morning, were, were retailing for 16 and $17 a pound. So so you're right in, in as much as the more more of that goes through and and uh, is sold, uh, the better it will be for for uh, the well the new crab this year's crab, uh, which as you know will, is about to go into the market from uh, from the Gulf. So you're seeking um, a meeting with the premier and the labor minister. What are you hoping to achieve there? Well, uh, there's a long term problem and a short term. Long term is we've got to find a better way to do business uh, on this crab, and we, we, you know, the FOS is is not working. I'm hearing that every single day. Calls are coming in, you know, it's not working. We can't leave that amount of money on the table. We have to find a better way to do business. Now, having said that, we just went for a review uh, last year, and we we kind of structured ourselves for a new regime this year. But up to now, uh, gotta say. Uh, uh, most harvesters, 90% uh, plus, will say this is not working for them. And uh, to have a, a market situation coupled with it with a disastrous panel price uh, spells economic disaster for the entire island. I mean, this is not one harbor we're talking about here. This is the entire island. I mean, uh, this is the fishery now, and uh, it's broken. So let, let's fix it. Let's get at, let's get let's make sure that when, when we land on that price, it is there is balance in it, and it it treats harvesters with respect, and it allows people to move forward. But this is uh, you know just carrying carrying all the hurt and the hit uh, from a bad market on onto one group, uh, totally totally unfair, and uh, we, we can't continue with a with a with a uh, regime like that. We've seen disputes leading into the crab season before. We've seen delays due to ice and weather and the like. But can this year's crab fishery be salvaged? Oh, I think so. I, I, I think so. Um, I'm, and I'm sure so. If there's a, a will here to do something um, p- positive for harvesters, uh, yeah, it can be salvaged. And, and the season can be salvaged. It's, it's day two. And what's significant about this, Linda, is that in, in day two, we don't have a fishery. Like harvesters, this is not a strike like we were used to many years ago. This is, this is a situation where our bargaining committees, our, our harvesters, 
uh, have unanimously said, uh, we can't fish for that. That is, it's that serious. And uh, so, yeah, th- there is an answer. It's called money. And uh, we need to, to get back uh, to the process. If there's a willingness to go back to the process, then uh, we're there. And we'll work towards uh, getting this up and going. But uh, it won't be fixed if processors are willing just to sit tight and uh, and keep that 220 on the table and, and just hope that uh, things go their way later on in, in the season. Any response from the Premier or the Minister yet? I'm expecting to hear today, uh, a little later this afternoon. I did have a, a fairly good chat with the Minister of Fisheries yesterday. Uh, he's... Uh, you know he's uh, he's from Greenspan. He has uh, he's he understands uh, the significance of this hit. There's no question about that. Uh, so uh, I'm hoping to be able to to meet with the premier and the minister of labor on, on these issues. As I said, long term, short term. Um, the, the short term is to get a fishery up and going. The longer term is to look at how we do business on crab and to make sure that uh, that we can uh, you know guarantee uh, better returns from uh, from that marketplace. Greg Pretty, keep us up to date. Thank you very much. Anytime, Linda. That is uh, the FFAW president, uh, Greg Pretty. They're speaking with our own Linda Swain, who's on the mend at home. I hope you're doing well, Linda. Thanks for the interview. We are going to take first break here on uh, News Talk Today. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. We'll be right back. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain today on News Talk. So the Newfoundland and Labrador Soccer Association held its annual awards ceremony earlier today. And this is news, if you ask me, down at the Legion in Pleasantville. Uh, lots of members of the community being honored, of course, for the immense, immense contributions. So much of it all volunteer their own time. Our own Richard uh, Duggan, VOCM's own Richard Duggan, dropped down today and spoke with a couple of the recipients, including Executive, executive of the Year, Ron O'Neill, and the Volunteer of the Year, Craig Dyer. I've been a part of Mount Pro Soccer Association going over 20 years when my first daughter Emily was introduced to the fabulous program. Uh, since then, I've just followed my children and whatever my children were involved in, I got involved in. And then there was opportunities uh, to be on the board and to be a coach and to be a convener. And those opportunities were great and they're so rewarding. So over 20 years doing uh, volunteer work with the association, what, what keeps you going through, all, keep, keeps you in this for 20 years? Uh, I said my youngest child is still playing, but the, the success of a good program, Mount Pearl is a fabulous community. Uh, last year we had a registration of almost 1,800. That's from our three-year-olds up to our 80-year-olds. And to see the success that we have, it doesn't really mean championships. We have some championships, but it's about kids developing and growing a love for the game. So as you mentioned, you got to see uh, your children go through these programs. What benefit is there for, you know, to, for children to be a part of uh, a sport like soccer? Uh, it's, the game is one thing, but it's about developing as a good young person, which uh, we have some success or a lot of success in our young people becoming leaders. Uh, it's about a game that's a team concept. It's about a game that uh, everybody's got to play together. They've all got to work hard. And those successes bring good citizens. And I guess over over the course of 20 years, you've really gotten to see a bit of an, an, an evolution of the sport here as well. How have things changed? 
Uh, the game fundamentally hasn't really changed. It's a ball with 22 people on the field and try and score goals. Um, the technical side has increased dramatically. Uh, NSLA has provided fantastic uh, training programs, uh, mentorship. Uh, one of our big things right now is the female mentorship that the government has sponsored. We're seeing uh, a lot of uh, our female coaches uh, get better education, and we think that's a fantastic program. But it's just fun to do. Uh, it's always great to be a part of your child's life, but it's even uh, a lot of fun just to watch other children grow. You, you make friendships with parents. You make friendships with coaches. Uh, I wouldn't know Ron standing beside me now or sitting beside me now, and, uh, but it was Mount Pearl Soccer, and Ron was one of my leaders. Uh, he was the president of Mount Pearl Soccer, and 10 years later, I'm now the president of Mount Pearl Soccer, thanks to Ron and the other presidents before him. And I guess I should have asked you this question right off the top, but what does it mean for you to receive this recognition here? Um, it's it's humbling. Uh, it's an award that recognizes um, what I do for free. It's it's a love of the game. I love being on the field, but it's just not my award. It comes with uh, the support of my family, my my lovely wife, and my kids, uh, support of my my siblings, and you know they just. Uh, assist in allowing me to do what I do. Uh, I've been known for taking pictures. I think I have a library of about 50,000 pictures, and it brings smiles to uh, children and adults' faces. Ron O'Neill, I'm going to be awarded the Executive of the Year. So what does that recognition mean to you? Well, it's very nice to receive such a a recognition for this. you got to realize there's so many people that are volunteering their time, whether it's on the provincial executives, their own club executives, their towns. And it's just nice to be uh, uh, acknowledged for the work they've done over the last uh, couple of years. How long have you been involved with soccer here in the province? Pretty well all my life from a child playing it going up and then obviously after leaving the game as a and moving on in careers coming back to start with my children and as they grow up and as Craig pointed out getting involved with the administration side developing the coaching skills running the administration and a club level I was went through pretty well all the positions on the executive there and eventually from there moved into our provincial program and now as for the last Oh, 15, 16 years, been serving with the Newfoundland Labrador Soccer Association in a variety of capacities, and right now I'm sitting on the executive uh, with the Newfoundland Labrador Soccer Association. What has this sport meant to you and your family? It's been everything. Uh, soccer is just a wonderful, wonderful game, and uh, the more people you can see getting involved in it, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, my wife was a great volunteer when our daughters were in the program. It just gave us an opportunity to know all of our daughters' friends, their families, getting involved in community, uh, a lot of travel, playing in very good competitions in nationals and provincials. It was very exciting. I wouldn't trade for a thing. What sort of growth have you seen in this uh, sport in this province over, over the course of the entire time that you've been involved with it? Standards, standards, and standards. We keep raising them and raising them and forcing ourselves to meet to the next level. We want to provide the opportunity for every kid to play at whatever level they want. We want soccer for life. But at the same time, we have to create an environment where every single player is going to be provided with the opportunity to rise as high on that ladder as they possibly can be. So when we bring in new coaches and new standards by our executive director, director Mark Marshall, and the standards that we impose on our coaches, the standards we got to expect from our players. We have two teams being awarded here today, the Holy Cross men's team who won a bronze medal at the national championships and the Holy Cross women's team who won a gold medal at the national championships. And we have an awful lot of players now that are participating and hopefully be lucky enough to get a shot probably even on some of the Candace National programs. That is Ron O'Neill. Uh, he's the executive of the year, executive, can't say that word today, of the year. 
And Craig Dyer, he was named Volunteer of the Year today at the Newfoundland and Labrador Soccer Association Annual Awards Ceremony. Uh, it was down at the Legion in Pleasantville. Fun quick fact on Mr. Dyer, you may also know him, Craig, as the spokesperson for the Postal Union in these parts, but also as my classmate, right from kindergarten on up. So uh, good on you, Craig, buddy. We'll, have the, uh, we'll always have the front row in the class picture. Okay, enough of that. We're off to the news with Noah Shepard. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And I'm Brian Callahan back for Linda in, back in for Linda Sway this afternoon. It's Tuesday and my tongue's tied three days early. So um, we all know uh, Brad Guju came away with the silver medal. Let's cut the chase here. Um, uh, great performance last week. Uh, overcame some issues, ended up beating Nadine twice in one day, beat the Swiss, and then came up against the hottest team, the hottest game of, uh, you know, of the week, a Scotland team that would be not be denied. And uh, uh, what can we say? And, you know, we all know what a great ambassador and curler Mr. Guju is for the province, but um, he also comes through with the interview, boy, I'll tell you. And after the week that he had and then a really emotional day on Sunday, which we all saw, um, and he still got a silver. We forget he got a silver. It's not like they didn't make playoffs or anything, you know, or, or, but they were in the final against a team that just happened to be the best team on that day. So, uh, but despite all of that, he's right back on it this week uh, at the Players' Championship in, uh, in Toronto. Uh, and, you know, I put in an interview request earlier today, not thinking, I mean, you can only imagine what his schedule's like and exhausted and sick of the media. But lo and behold, by came through, called me about uh, 15 minutes before the show, so I had to pre-tape because we were on his time uh, and the generous time that it is, so I'm just going to run it. Here's my conversation with Brad Guju just about uh, an hour ago. You know, um, you're right back at the Toronto Players this week. Is that the, the, the thinking, the mentality, get right back on the horse? Yeah, it's it's really no rest. We had one day off uh, from playing the Worlds now, and we're at the Players' Championship, which for us is it, it's a big event. It's an important one. It's you know, year in, year out, probably my favorite event to play. And uh, it's just challenging coming off a world championship, especially when you, you know, you don't finish exactly the way you wanted to, to, to kind of get that motivation up. But I think once we get back out on the ice for the first game, I think that'll come back. And generally it's a good way to, to get over a, a challenging world championship. So we're looking forward to getting started. Yeah, I mean, uh, we all saw, you know, uh, you know, the whole province watched this. But I mean, at one point, I think Saturday night in an interview, you mentioned that, you know, drained physically, mentally, emotionally just after Saturday. And, of course, in everyone's mind is how in the world do you, do you fix your, your mentality and your thinking for a championship Sunday, you know? So uh, how did you do that? And I guess I'll cut to the chase. Why do you think you, you lost? Yeah, I, I think the, the main reason we lost was uh, Scotland played an incredible game. Okay. I think they were they were clearly the best team on that day. And, and based on the percentages that they shot, they shot, like even if we played our best um, with them having the hammer to start, it may not have been enough. So that's kind of the silver lining. And the fact that, you know, we didn't have our best game and it, it may not have, may not have mattered too much with how on fire they were. Um, but outside of that, you know, I, I don't think there was anything we did in, in our preparation or, or, in anticipation of the game, it really just, we were playing one of the best teams in the world that had one of their strongest games. And, and, you know, that's the way sport is. Sometimes you, you come up against a hot team and, you know, you just have to tip their hat, tip your hat to them and, and say, congratulations. And, you know, I, I can't put any excuses on us, uh, on us losing other than the fact that they were better on that day. And, and, uh, 
you know, I, I think getting over that loss is, is going to be easier because of that, because they played so well. It, it wasn't because we, you know, it, granted, yes, we did make some mistakes, but I don't necessarily think that that really cost us the game at the end of it. They, they were just so good. Yeah, no question. It's kind of a softball question. I mean, you know, people often ask, did they lose it or did you win it? And, uh, yeah, and, tro- and, and yeah, sure, go ahead. 100, yeah, 100% they, they won it. I, I don't feel like our team lost the, the championship. I think they just, they earned it. They deserved it. You know, they've been one of the best teams in the world for a long time. And, you know, I'm happy for them. I'm, I'm sad that it came at her expense. <laughs> and not only that, I mean, their last championship was, uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think 2009 was the last time Scotland won, and uh, you know I, this this team, Bruce Mullet's team, uh, they, they've been there now for the past five or six years, and have kind of been knocking at the door, getting into the playoffs, but not advancing to the to the final or, or to win. And uh, you know they had a good Olympics last year, losing a close game to Nicholas in, in the final, and and obviously came through this time. And you know they won the Europeans before, so they've. They've been knocking at the door. Great in the Grand Slams as well. Um, so yeah, they're they're a tough team. In, in our opinion, we felt that like they were, you know, top three, maybe at worst case, top four team in the world um, going into the event. So they're certainly deserving, and uh, they showed that this week. Yeah, you're always gracious with your uh, with your kudos for others, uh, and well earned, as you said. You know, I won't get too much into the technicalities of the week. One thing that jumped out at me, it seemed at times that. Um, you still might be getting used to the strength of EJ. I, you know, it, it seemed times that the line calling was so back and forth that it was almost like you, you're, not, you're not used to what he can do to a rock. I mean, it's not that Mark or anyone or the rest of the, you guys could never do it, but it just seems to that he can move it like I've, no one I've seen. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I keep saying to him, I think he's ruining more shots for us than making them. Uh, and it's not his fault because I'm telling him to sweep it. So I guess it's it's my fault. But uh, he's so strong and, and technically the position that he gets in, you know, uh, and, and the strength that he has allows him to, to get, allows us to give a lot more control to the rock coming down. I think I need to adjust uh, going forward in, in how to manage that better because I, ha- you know, I did ruin a bunch of shots this week with how strong he is. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think after calling line for the last 20 plus years uh, and not having, uh, you know, that ability um, the, or the ability that EJ has in, in front of us, you know, it's an adjustment for me. And, and I'm still learning to, to do that. And, you know, I think that'll get better over the next couple of years. But, yeah, he's he's a weapon like he can uh, he can make a rock curl, which is. You know, I'd love to see that kind of go away from the sport and get back to the natural way it yeah. was for, for most of my career. Um, but the fact that he could do it and that's becoming a bigger part of the game, I think that's an asset for us. It's just i got to learn to to manage it better. Yeah, I'm with you. With the purest of the game, you go back to, you know, you never had to deal with that. It was more in in your delivery and, and your touch and your weight and everything. But now they control it like it's it's almost sideways. On top of trying to adjust to the ice that day or what rocks you're using, you know, because, it, uh, and you throw that combination together and it seems like it could be a, a recipe for disaster on a championship Sunday. Yeah. It, you know what, it, with, with the day too, and, and you talk about the different ice conditions and that's one thing we kind of faced in Ottawa is, is day to day. There was just little differences in the ice and his level of impact, uh, you know, varies depending on the yeah. surface. There are some surfaces where he can't manipulate a rock quite as much as he can on others. Uh, and fascinating. one yeah. day and, and he can really make a rock move. And then the next day he can't, it's kind of, kind of a bit of a challenge. So that that's one thing we, 
we had this week that we don't typically do. Um, when we go to these big events, there are some subtle changes, but they are very subtle. I, I, I thought in Ottawa they were probably a little bit more dramatic uh, from day to day and game to game than we're used to seeing, uh, and that led to some of the line calls. Uh, listen to me, I'm making a ton of excuses here. So. <laughs> but uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I got I got to adjust to him, and, and you know, he, he's so strong. Yeah, and uh, so just shifting, and I won't keep you for much longer. You know, I wonder too because you know. Uh, I think we lose sight of the fact that you didn't win the goal. It's not like we didn't make the playoffs. It's not like you didn't qualif- make qualify. It's not like you lost twice in a day, Edine. <clears throat> you know, I'm not just uh, not to throw that out, but you know what I mean. It's like people maybe should temper the expectations given how far other countries have come with their skill these days. Um, absolutely. Like uh, at the end of the day, we're still, you know, we're the number one ranked team in the world today uh, with the new rankings that are out. We just lost the final of the world championship uh, against a team that is hmm. number two in the world. Um, you know, we're, we put ourselves in a position to give ourselves a chance to win. I think when you look at a one game battle for a world championship to, with two of the top teams in the world, it, it really is a coin toss. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, something we have to keep in, in mind. It's a, you're not going to win each and every time you go out and, you know, we got the Blue Jays home opener here in Toronto this week. And, and, you know, when they play the New York Yankees, they're not going to win every single time that they play. It's, it's uh, you know, it is going to be a little bit of a coin toss from game to game and, and day to day. Although, uh, remember, they did have week. that they did have that nice little seven or eight game in a row there a couple of years ago, if you remember. Hey? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know what? Those streaks happen <laughs> that was as crazy. well. Um, you yeah. know, we had, we had a really long streak against Nicholas yes. where I think we won 12 or 13 games in a row. Uh, and then he clipped it around last year and, and the year before where he beat us five or six times in a row. So you get on those streaks. But at the end of the day, it still is, you know, a, a coin toss and, and who can win on that day. And, and sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's just being outplayed or, or, or making a or getting a lucky break. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to take all those things in, into consideration. I think from a curling Canada standpoint or curling fans in Canada, we, we probably have to adjust our expectations and, and be proud when, when our teams go and, and get a medal because uh, it's not going to be easy to get a medal going forward. There's so many good teams internationally and, and those teams are in often cases are full-time curlers. Like that's what they do. And that's what they get paid to do where, you know, our Canada and the, and the model we go by, it's, you know, we all have jobs and other things that we do outside of curling. So uh, it's going to get harder and harder for us to, to succeed on an international level. Just really briefly on that, what kind of strategies that maybe you haven't seen before or ones that stand out to you, you see more than you, we can see on TV, that the Euro teams or, or other teams like Italy and, and uh, you know, well, China wasn't there, but, you know, any of the Asian-based uh, teams are using different strategies. And I hear you guys mention them under your breath from time to time. Or you, or even you know, Vic or someone, or the play-by-play will announce it, but or mention mention it. But is there anything that stuck out to you this week about you know strategies that you haven't seen before, or ones that are distinct from Canada's that, you know, either they've learned or or or, or unlearned? No, I, I to be honest, I think most of them have really taken on the Canadian strategy and, and the strategy that the top Canada teams have used at Grand Slams, where we play these teams on a regular basis. There's, you know, six teams here in Toronto this week for the Grand Slam that played in the World Championship, and we played against those teams now. And this is our sixth Grand or fifth Grand Slam of the year, 
So they've had tons of experience seeing it and, and, and utilizing that strategy and they're becoming more and more comfortable with it. And, you know, I, I, that's what I see. The top teams are very similar to how the Canadian top Canadian teams play. I think one thing that they really brought to the table is they have the, you know, access to research on how mm. sweeping can have an impact in a few different things. So we've seen some new sweeping strategies over the last two years that, you know, we've never saw before. And, and we've done some research on our own as a team and, and found that, you know, those are very useful. Um, but they were kind of brought to the table by some of these European teams because they have access to, to that research and, and the ability to go yeah. do that. Um, so that's something that uh, I think we'll continue, continue to see, then trying different things to, to get the most out of it. And we as Canadians either got to find a way to get back on the forefront of that or, or at least, um, you know, catch up really quick. Because, uh, you know, I, I look back and I, I remember seeing some of these things happen at the Olympics for the first time. Uh, and then when we went and tested, we're like, wow, these, these things really work. And, yeah. you know, we were, uh, we were at a disadvantage because of that. So, you know, hopefully we can get back to the forefront again. Brad, I always appreciate your time. I know you got a game tonight. Um, so the Toronto players, this, the Players' Championship this week in Toronto. And then uh, just briefly, what's after? What, uh, then is the break? Yeah, well, we got a couple weeks off, and then we play the Champions Cup in, in Regina. Uh, that's the last one of the year, but it's going to be a break when we go home. We won't have any ice to practice on, so that last event is going to be uh, – we'll be kind of winging that one, <laughs> to be oh, honest. We'll have to talk uh, some more about yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's getting uh, – you know, the season's getting longer and longer, so, uh, you know, this one here in, in Toronto is a big one for us, and, and we're always excited to play it, so – uh, after that, you know, we, we just kind of take it as it is for, for the last event and see what happens. Great stuff. Listen, thanks again. Congratulations on everything. Good luck this week. Thanks. Appreciate it. That was Brad Guju, of course, right there. Uh, again, can't say enough. Thank him for his time today, given everything that he's got going on. Another game tonight. Uh, so there you have it. Um, nice little synopsis of the past week and where they're going from here. We're going to take a short break here on uh, News Talk and come right back and uh, dovetail a little bit on what Brad, Brad mentioned the Blue Jays. We're going to talk a little Blue Jays opening night tonight. We'll be right back. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back to the program uh, on News Talk. Of course, it could very easily be called Sports Talk today, although I would argue that uh, Brad Gucci's accomplishments especially over the last weekend, as well as uh, the Blue Jays' home opener tonight are absolutely newsworthy. And speaking of the Blue Jays, let's go to our resident, I'm going to call her our resident expert, the uh, lovely and talented VOCM, Sarah Strickland. Sarah, how you doing? Good afternoon, Brian. It's a beautiful day for a home opener, uh, seven inches from the midday sun, <laughs> some might say. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so if you're going to quote Matchbox throughout this entire interview, we're going to have to cut it short, so Okay. All right, Claudette, take me off. Okay, great. So uh, I called you resident expert. That's I Listen, from our conversations around the newsroom and that sort of thing, it certainly appears evident. What? Um, let me start with this. Uh, big home opener tonight. We know the place has been renovated. Let's hope the team looks as fresh and shiny as the building does. But um, just give me a general. Let's get people talking. What's your assessment of the start so far this year? So far, it's pitching is the issue as it has been as long as I've been watching this team for the last 10 years. Every year we have issues with pitching, and it seems like no matter what, they go back to the drawing board, still no help there, that bullpen especially. But it's, the rotation this year is also not reliable. I mean, 
we thought Kikuchi might be coming out of it this year, but his last start proved us wrong that that was a one-off for him. And Can I get you, know you started? What? Can I get you started on Barrios, or will we save that for a moment? Oh. <laughs> Let, let's save that. But we didn't have any expectations after last season, but mm. for the money he's making, mm. it, it's time to rethink what we're going to do with Jose Barrios. Yeah, time uh, seems long past that time. You know, all you're asking for is a bit of consistency. And, you know, it uh, that seems to be, it, it, you know, I mean, it's very early. I know there are people probably shouting at the radio. It's bias. Come on now. It's a few weeks. But, um, and, and in fairness, it is. But when you consistently have poor, uh, you know, pale showings early on in the season, it gives you no hope and it gets everybody talking. And it's just like the Leafs without a goaltender. And, I mean, the offense is not the issue. I mean, you can win a ball game mm. with that, without scoring 10 runs. <laughs> or 12-11, if you like. <laughs> exactly. Like the Angels game that we had there the other night, they did not need to have 12 runs and go right. to extras for that. I'll give them this. It was entertaining. Like, whatever you say, these games, you know, we, we all know you could come down to the end of the season, and if they'd won one more game, they might make the walk or whatever. Well, that's all out the window right now. I'm just enjoying it. The first month, I just enjoy it. I, I can't bring myself to get upset with the pitching and everything because I know they're going to make a change or something's going to hit a stride because, you know, they go through those ups and downs. But uh, I'd love rather see just a, a constant graph that shows an incline as opposed just a constant incline. I'm sick of these ups and downs. How about you? You know, I'm looking forward to seeing the bottom part of the lineup. I think that's starting to shine a bit. We got Kiermaier who's hitting, I think, 400 at the moment. Tell me his quote. You love uh, his quote. I love his quote with, I believe, it was Arden Zwelling on the field after that game. He said, my job is to get on base and the big bats will bring me home. And they did that on uh, Sunday night. And, and that shows you that he's still in his role there because he is batting ninth. And it is important when Springer, Bichette, those guys come up to the plate that they can get them across. Yeah. It's not Kiermaier's job to hit home runs. Nobody knows he's going to get those pitches with the top of the order coming. So, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, he's been a killer, Jay's killer, all over the years with Tampa Bay. And uh, it's just so interesting to watch him really play really, really passionately for a new team after watching him with Tampa Bay. I always wonder what the old team thinks of it, you know, when they come to town and watch him now with a different crest on, you know. It just seems, uh, I know trades happen all the time, but just I always wonder what the fans look at him and whether or not, what they wonder about his mentality for the Jays as opposed to the Tampa. Oh, I'm left Tampa now, so I hate you now, now I love Toronto. I don't think Rays <laughs> fans or the Rays organization's too worried right now. They're 10-0. No. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Great point. And, I mean, you know, his center feeling over the years, too. It's interesting. I mean, he was just a Class A player and continues to be. It's part of his personality. They've said that they love him with the team. But outside of that, what do you think of Laddie's start? And um, Chapman looks great and strong. His bat especially. Kept a couple of his usual little interesting uh, airmails to first base. But other than that, or in the dirt? I think Laddie's going to start coming around. I think he's going to be better this season than what we saw last year. Everybody said Vlad had a bad season last year. He just had a less than exceptional than the MVP MVP caliber year he had the year before that. I think this year is going to be better for him. And I think getting in front of that home crowd at Rogers Center, I think capacity is reduced this year with the renovations. I think it's about 45,000 now. I think that's going to be a big drive behind their play this year especially getting back home now after 10 games on the road yeah yeah it should, I think that's gonna be good for them 
Yeah. Uh, what's the latest on the weather? Roof open, roof closed? I think they should open that roof. It's seven <laughs> inches from the midday sun, especially oh. in Toronto. It's like 25 degrees. That's two references, the same lyric. Do you know any other lyrics by uh, Rob Thomas? Oh, I, we'd be here all day. <laughs> Final thoughts. Um, uh, who gets to start tonight? I haven't even had a look. Who's on the mound? Is that Gosman's start tonight? It is Alex Manoa oh, no, on the mound Of course it is. Trying to get, I think he's still trying to get redemption. Yeah. The first start of the season, not what he wanted. His last outing, while it was not as bad, it still wasn't Manoa caliber after that uh, Cy Young nomination season. I think this is his real chance at redemption. Yep, and this will also be, I guess, it may not be the same mound with all the renovations, but it'll be the first time that he's taken the mound in Rogers Center since that loss last year in the playoffs. So. I don't know how mental it is, but uh, you know he's certainly an imposing figure. So hopefully, not just the talent, but his his um, his imposing nature will be enough to shut down. Who is it tonight? Is it Tigers? Uh, Ti- Manning. The, the Ma- oh, Manning's on the mound for the Tigers. Yeah. Yes, it is Tigers. Okay, I, yeah. off the top of my head, it's good I knew that. Sarah Strickland, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. Is uh, are you getting paid for this? No, but anything for you, Callahan. <laughs> Work, Dad. Job enough, so. Okay, people are now throwing the well, turning it off or getting sick. Uh, Sarah Strickland, thank you very much. Appreciate it. See you in the office. See you Saturday. Thanks. That'll do it for uh, me today. Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. Little news talk, little sports talk. Uh, best of my knowledge, I hope maybe Linda's back on the horse. We'll see, hopefully. Um, hope she's feeling better. Hope you're feeling better, Linda. Thanks again for the interview. I'm Brian Callahan. This is News Talk. Have a great afternoon.